0: Hello listeners, just a short warning. The recording of this particular podcast episode was marred by some problematic internet issues. So there are points in time where we're talking over the top of each other and parts of time where we cut off from each other during the discussion. So some of the discussion will jump around quite a lot because we're dealing with a dodgy internet connection. But things will be fine next week when I'm back in Bucharest and I'll be hardwired into the internet. So... I apologize for the fake news in this episode about fake news. Listener, beware. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to Conspiracy. My name is Josh Edison. I am sitting. Mm. In Auckland, New Zealand, but so, oh, actually, I was going to say not sitting, but you are probably sitting, aren't you? I am sitting. I am sitting mm. somewhere in the world. I am the Carmen San Diego of sitting. Mm. Sitting, but not in Auckland, New Zealand, is the crucial point. Uh, is Dr. MRX Dentith. Where are you today? Well,
0: actually, to find me, you will, in fact, have to travel to one of four countries and then see whether you can find one of my many minions there that will give you a hint. To the fact that I am in Karlsruhe, in Germany. Right. Oh God, I've given it away.
1: Ah, uh, you have. You should have been wearing your big red, wide-brimmed hat. I couldn't fit have it in my you.
0: suitcase. Those hats are a pain mm. to take around the world. Carmen San Diego really should be congratulated for her ability mm. to travel with a large hat at
1: all times. Mm. Yes, I admire it. Uh, but yes, no. For the second week in a row, you are in Karlsruhe, Germany. Coincidence? I think so. Hmm. And today you're going to you're going to move aside the curtain, uh, but not in a dirty way and and let us into the the goings on and the ins and outs, again, not in a dirty way, of what you've been up to there, I understand. And reveal that there was never a curtain in the first place. I've got electronic blinds. Ah, well, there you go. The curtain was all in our minds. Uh, I suppose we could crack straight ahead to the news. Do you have anything else before we do that? No. Not at all. No. I mean, I could just shout out the word penis, but I'm not going to. I was going to say it's been done, but it has literally been done on this podcast uh, more than once,
0: as I recall. Yes. In fact, actually, in our early days, Mm. there was an awful lot of
1: ejaculation going on of the word penis. Mm. Yeah. Great many penis ejaculations. And I mean that in the classical sense, obviously.
0: And of course, now I'm thinking about that segment from... QI mm. about how often Watson ejaculates in the He
1: does Home stories Including yeah, ejaculating afternoon. out the
0: windows.
1: He does Watson ejaculates out who, of, who among us has never ejaculated out a window At one of our friends
0: I just find the notion that the word ejaculate Has changed meaning so entirely mm. In the space of 100 years To be really quite fantastic
1: Well it, it, it sort of, It's it, it, one of the metaphorical More metaphorical meaning Or rather less metaphorical meaning acquired prominence it's a if it's it's a fairly common or well, common-ish thing in linguistics that if a word acquires a meaning that's a little bit rude or taboo or something then then that tends to overshadow all its previous ones gay being the obvious example but uh prophylactic is just what of a preventative until people started using it to refer to condoms and now that's all it means, ejaculate's another one Language, it's fascinating No, it's not Be fascinated, damn you No, language oh, okay. is very well, boring Let's do the news Very, very boring, <laughs> so straight to the news Breaking, breaking conspiracy theories in the news We start the news from the mother country, dear old Blighty What have our masters and mistresses in Westminster been up to, old chap, old fellow, I'll tell you how Conspiring with the Russians not again? Is that Am I doing the accent the whole time? You can give up whenever you like. Is, is nowhere safe from claims of conspiring or colluding with the Russians these days? No, not even your mother. Touche. Anyway, the rolling fiasco, which is
0: Brexit, continues to cause trouble for everyone. This time, Aaron Banks, who helped fund Leave.eu, one of the many pro-Brexit campaigns prior to that particular referendum. Banks, who met with Russia's UK ambassador three times in 2015 and 2016, uh, discussing Brexit and Donald Trump's election campaign, has admitted the Leave campaign used fake news because they were running a campaign deliberately aimed at making fun of people. Banks is now claiming that talk of his meetings with the Russian ambassador, two meetings of which he never admitted to prior, are simply
1: Remainers ramoning about losing that Brexit referendum. This is the same Aaron Banks whose Brexit campaign failed to report nearly £100,000 they spent on the Leave campaign? Yes. The same Aaron Banks whose campaign was fined by the Electoral Commission for breaches of electoral law over the Leave campaign they ran? Yes. Sounds like a top bloke. We should not besmirch his character uh, any further. Meanwhile, we should get to the bottom of the deep state plot to stop Russians from being able to protest and rally in the streets of Washington, D.C. Ooh, sounds juicy. Do tell. USA, really, is an offshoot of... Of Russia's federal news agency and they wanted to run a rally celebrating Donald J. Trump's birthday. He is one of those US President Malaki fellows, isn't he? Allegedly. Anyway, they applied for a permit to hold their rally, but the permit they applied for was a film permit which was rejected as the authorities looked into their application and told them that they should have applied for a permit for a rally rather than for the filming of an event. Uh, so USA really is now claiming this is part of a deep state plot to stop Russian media interests from rallying in support of a US president.
0: Scandalous!
1: A conspiracy by the deep state to stop Russian interference in US politics. What has the world come to? Indeed. Add to this a recent and unsubstantiated rumour that Donald Trump likes to tear up all his paperwork, and things in the US are looking decidedly weird at the moment. Actually,
0: on that paperwork issue, there's something quite nice and illustrative about conspiracy theories right there. You see, even if we end up being agnostic about that particular assertion being true, It's one of those things which feeds into conspiracy theories about Trump generally. The Obama administration was known for its very careful handling of paperwork, which crossed the president's desk or was touched by him, given there is a requirement such paperwork is archived. However, the Trump administration is not known for its careful procedures. So it seems plausible
1: to people that Trump would be the kind of person who would screw or tear up paperwork when he's done with it. Which, I guess, supports either the notion the administration is either incompetent when it comes to data retention, or conspiring to keep the information the president knows about secret. Precisely. The fact the story ends with the sources claiming that they
0: were then paid to piece together torn up documents with sticky tape just makes it all the better, since it suggests there are forces in the White House fighting back against Trump and what he stands for. Conspiracies upon conspiracies, what will they think of next? And now, grunge news. Josh, you're the only person in this duo who A. owns a flannel shirt, true. and B. thinks music
1: in the 90s was any good. So you can take the lead on this one. Thank you, Ian. Uh, now, I, I, I think Ian thinks I don't read these scripts in advance. I do read them. I'm just too lazy to alter them, so bearing that in mind, <clears throat> I say this of my own free will, and not because I've been scripted to, but the nineties were pure horseshit and nothing about them and nothing was any good. Indeed, I will go burn my flannel shirt as soon as this recording is finished, but before then some news about Kurt Cobain's guitar and Courtney Love. That was very, very sincere sounding. Although
0: I should mm. point out that Hole was pretty good. Every word. Damn good, actually.
1: Mm. <laughs> nothing about the 90s was good, nothing So the daughter of Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love, Francis Bean Cobain Had an ex-husband, Isaiah Silver Who has filed a lawsuit against Courtney Love um, He alleges there was a conspiracy to assault, kidnap and murder him And it's all over contested ownership of a 1959 D18E Martin guitar Kurt Cobain played at Nirvana's 1993 MTV Unplugged Appearance Juicy. So, what about this murder-kidnap plot? Well, just after midnight, on June 3rd, 2016, Silver alleges that three men broke into the house he had shared with his estranged wife in what was an attempt to take the guitar. The men allegedly beat and groped Silver, stole his phone, and then dragged him to a waiting car and drove away. However... Silver wasn't alone, and a friend not only called 911, but blocked the street with his own car. Now, no arrests were made because Silver was warned that Love, his estranged wife, and the three men, controlled the judicial system, the LAPD, and the media. So Silver told the police the whole thing was a prank which had gone wrong. Okay, that sounds weird. Uh, It gets more interesting. Silver thinks that had his friend not intervened, that he would have been taken somewhere and murdered. Not just that, but the men and Courtney Love went to great lengths to create the impression that he was depressed, drug addicted and on the brink of committing suicide, and that he'd recently inquired about where to obtain a firearm. Silver's claims someone hacked his iPhone's message app in order to text falsified suicidal remarks to a friend. An episode he found so unsettling, he reported it to police. Well, this gets grander and grander. And this is all about a guitar? Yes. um, Basically, Silver claims Francis gifted him the guitar. Courtney says this isn't true, and the guitar was never her daughter's to gift anyway. However, he's recently managed to secure ownership of the guitar through the courts, and this new lawsuit seems to be related to that struggle. Any references to the death of Kurt Cobain? But of course. Silver claims Kurt's mum, Wendy, told him that she thought Courtney was involved in the suicide of her son. Well, that's quite the story.
0: More proof, I think, that the 90s are still causing harm to all and sundry. Let, let that decade burn in hell. Now, I would like to point out to listeners who don't watch the video version of this podcast, in the video version of this podcast, you will see myself cracking up at particular points where I've forced Josh to say things against his will. But of course, in the podcast version, I can quite easily remove my laughter from that and make it sound as if everything was very serious indeed. But finally,
1: Mm. Star Wars. Ah, Star Wars. So, do we have a juicy conspiracy theory about Supreme Leader Snoke or some such? Not that Star Wars. Reagan-era Star Wars.
0: Ah. Precisely. Now, back in 1983, Air Force officer Captain William Howard Hughes Jr. disappeared, apparently just before or whilst en route to the Netherlands for work purposes. His family felt his disappearance was mysterious and authorities thought at the time he might have defected to the Soviet Union. But it seems he just went to California and started a new life under an assumed name. Why? The 80s, Joshua. The 80s. As frightening a place to be alive as the 90s. Worse even, atomic war was always just around the corner. No, Hughes Jr. became Barry O'Byrne. And he lived in California for 35 years before finally being found out over inconsistencies with his passport. And this is conspiracy news how, exactly? Well, the thing was, because people assumed Hughes had defected or been kidnapped, there were references to him almost every time there was a disaster in the 80s and early 90s. He knew things about the Star Wars program and the like. So shuttle disasters, the explosion of the Ariane rocket in French Guyana and the like, were all thought at one time or another to be the result of sabotage, with Hughes a possible source. But instead, he was just living in California. Allegedly. There is still some investigation going on about his story, but it seems he may well have just got fed up with being a G-man and gone to ground. Just like your mum. Hey, we don't talk about my mother's work for the Secret Service.
1: Cut the feed! Right-ho, well, this just in, and by this, I mean M, and by in, I mean in Karlsruhe, uh, and by just, I mean for, for about a week or more. But you get the point. Um, stuff's happening. It's all happening. It's all go in Karlsruhe, Germany. All uh, go regarding fake news, I understand. Um, so th- this week, we're going to be talking uh, about a, a forthcoming paper, a, an early draft of which I have been privileged to read, by the name of What is Fake About Fake News by one MRX Dentith, Fellow, New Europe College. Um, I guess before we get into the paper, can you tell us a bit about the New Europe College and the the hijinks you've been up to with them? Well, it's in Europe, it's a college,
0: and it's new. What more do you need to know? Uh, so the New Europe well, College is an advanced research institute in Bucharest in Romania. It was set up just over 20 years ago now. It essentially was a kind of offshoot from the University of Bucharest. So long story short, 20 years ago, certain members of the University of Bucharest thought that the university wasn't producing adequate research. And so they sought external funding to start their own private research institute, which has maintained itself. I should point out that no matter what the founders of New Europe College thought at the time, the University of Bucharest now is a a first-class, world-standard university. It has a very good placement record of its PhD students into good positions elsewhere around the world. So you wouldn't need to start the new Europe college now, but that's where I'm resident. It's an advanced research mm. institute, and I am one of its fellows. And that's
1: fellows with a capital F, because that is a title. It is, and it is in, in your capacity as a fellow of the New Europe College that you're in Karlsruhe at the moment, is it? Basically, yes, I'm a visiting fellow here. Uh, so, there are
0: all sorts of te- I You could describe me as a non stipendary visiting fellow at the debate lab at KIT. So, I'm here for two weeks talking with the people here about conspiracy theories, secrecy, and fake news. And because mm-hmm. I was meant to be presenting a paper on fake news, at a conference in Bucharest whilst I was away in logistics of going to Germany going back to Romania to give a one day to give a one-hour talk and then coming back to Germany really didn't work out I'm presenting the paper as a written submission to their proceedings and that's what I'm working on whilst
1: I'm here in Germania fabulous so um, it's what is fake about fake news um. No no surprises for guessing why a person would be talking about f- fake news in this day and age. But um, m- maybe this is an obvious question, but what exactly is the problem with fake news then that you're investigating? So the problem with fake news appears to be its centrality to certain kinds
0: of contemporary political discourse. So fake news has been with us probably for as long as has been news. There's always been a situation where people have presented stories as news stories, and they've been presented in such a way to deliberately mislead some target audience. And we find examples of fake news going throughout the entire newspaper era in Western history. So at the beginning of the 20th century, end of the 19th century, there were lots of tabloids in the UK. Those tabloids produced sensationalized stories. Partially fictionalized accounts of things and sometimes entirely fabricated stories in their pages So fake news is not a new problem What it is is a new label for an existing issue an issue to do with the how we judge the reliability of sources how we judge the trustworthiness of sources and also the really awkward question when it comes to a kind of epistemological framework How do we make claims about the intentions of the people behind these stories? What's new about the problem, as I said, is probably it's become weaponized in the last few years, largely because of one man, U.S. President Donald J. Trump, who likes to go around talking about fake news and the fake media, which has taken a term which has been around for a while – and made it into something really quite big and
1: stupendous. Mm. Yes, I mean, fake news, as a phrase, certainly came to prominence during the last presidential election. Um, and, And we must remember that Donald Trump did not invent the term. In fact... As I recall, in the context of the campaign, it was Democrats talking about the things that Trump had been saying. They, they started calling that fake news, but then the Trump campaign um, turned their own weapon against them. He took the term. Uh, he, you, you might say he put his thing down, flipped it, and reversed it, uh, if Donald Trump is worthy of, of mentioning in the same breath as Missy Elliott. Um, and, and, but since then, has, has uh, kind of taken ownership of the term. And in fact, didn't he try to... Sort of copyright. Suggest he was going to copyright the term "fake news" at one point, or something. I'm sure. That, I'm sure that was one of the many things he said. But... There was, I, I do remember
0: something along those lines of trying to make the claim that mm. he at least invented the term, which, as people pointed out, no, there's prior art by mm. the Democrats, mm. but also the Democrats themselves got it from left-wing media analysis from the 80s and 90s. So you find the term "fake news" appearing in academic works. And it's very much a left-wing attack on right-wing news. What's interesting about what Trump has done is that it's almost
1: entirely reversed now. Um, so it's not, it's not a new problem, but it's perhaps a newly pressing problem. I guess, as good philosophers, we should start with definition then. What exactly counts as fake news, and is it, is it separate from disinformation? Is, it, is one a species of the other? Yes, uh, let's start with the
0: definitional issues. So, fake news is going to be any story presented as news which targets an audience and is by design meant to deceive. So, basically, any time where you modify a story in such a way to make it warrant some particular viewpoint. So, I mean, so I was having this discussion with a colleague the other day. Can fake news be entirely true? And I think it can be if you are leaving out salient points
1: which might act as mitigating factors. So you might. Oh, that reminds me. Yeah. Sorry, you keep talking. I'm just I'm I'm just going to look something up now that I thought of it, just based on what you said. Excellent. Well, I shall. So yeah. So I think it is possible to have a, a fake
0: news story which is entirely true, but actually misses out on salient details which explain certain features. Now, so I was having a discussion with Gregor Betts at KIT here, and he was talking about the way that the inauguration crowds were reported at Trump's inauguration. And it is true the crowds were smaller than that of Obama's first and second inauguration. But if you leave out salient details about the weather forecast of that day, then that goes some way to make the story seem more fake than it is. So if you are aware ahead of time that there were heavy showers forecast for that day, that then suddenly explains why people were less likely to be at that inauguration. Well, the weather forecast for Obama's first and second inaugurations were for good weather, which thus encouraged people to go out there. But the kind of fake news we tend to be concerned about are cases where the story contains fabrications or is entirely fictitious so that's the fake news stuff but of course what's also interesting because it's kind of a first order issue is the second order issue which are of course allegations of fake news because alleging something is fake news doesn't tell you it is fake news and indeed one way to get people to not believe the news is to label that news as being fake so there are two phenomena that need to be kind of disambiguated here now have you found the thing that you were looking for or should I move on to the disinformation point because I just feel like I'm vamping it I point.
1: have no 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 I have found it um you, you talk of um, the potential of, of something being fake news and yet containing nothing but the truth reminded me of the case of the slander the slandering of Claude Pepper now, I don't know if the story is actually true or not, but it's a story that's been around for a long time. Um, it was a 1950 congressional election uh, when George Smathers was going up against Congressman Claude Pepper and supposedly gave a speech, um, the, the implication being that he was sort of talking to a bunch of, of ignorant country bumpkins, but um, he gave a sp- speech where he alleged that uh, Pepper's brother was a known homo sapien, that his sister was a practising thespian, he accused Pepper of matriculating into college and claimed that he practised celibacy before marriage. Again, that sounds a little bit too good to be true, but um, it it, it immediately popped to my mind as a case of a person saying things that were entirely true, um, but meaning them to have a, a negative effect on its audience. History, eh? Sometimes it lies. Oh, I like that example. Please send me through. Mm, I'll, I'll your send source it to you yeah. because
0: I would. I'd like mm. to use that because. Yes, I mean, what a terrible thing to matriculate into college. I mean, mm. actually, that sounds uh, quite sinister.
1: Yeah, I don't, I, I just just uh, the, the first page I came to had a few idea questions of whether or not it's true and no one seems quite certain about it and pointed to other examples such as a, uh, a a fictitious speech from mad magazine where someone talks about someone subscribing to a phonographic magazine and um, practicing nepotism with his sister-in-law uh, but but yeah anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting idea but um, carrying on from definitions though so I mean this is a this here is a poem podcast about conspiracy theories. You yourself are an academic uh, specialising in conspiracy theories. and Here we are talking about fake news. Um, Does fake news necessarily or at least in general imply some sort of a conspiracy? Fake news itself
0: not necessarily. The allegation of people producing fake news often does imply a conspiracy. So think of Donald J. Trump talking about fake media, fake news outlets and fake news. He uses that as a way of describing a liberal media conspiracy against him. So the allegation of fake news often does
1: contain within it a conspiracy theory. Yeah, and that, that kind of gets to the center of, of a lot of your paper is that there, there, there are actually two problems here when we're talking about the problem of fake news. One is the actual production and, and dissemination of fake news, deliberately or or, or uh, um, unwittingly, and especially in terms of the spreading of it. Um, but there's also the problem of people deflecting any criticism of them, uh, naming no names, Donald J. Trump, uh, by claiming that any sort of criticism is merely fake news. Um, so what 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 do we think, basically, about the sort of dual nature of this problem? Well, I think it's a interesting
0: case of how labelling something can make it automatically appear to be a problem, and we find this in the literature on conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists. If you can weaponize the term conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorist, then you can use that as a knockdown argument against anyone who Questions, what you might be doing. Oh, they're just putting forward a conspiracy theory. No, you shouldn't believe them. They're just a conspiracy theorist. And depending on the your political inclinations, the kind of society you live in and the like, that may or may not work in some contexts. So as we saw with the dirty politics material in the election before last back home, John Key described Nikki Hager as a conspiracy theorist putting forward a conspiracy theory, and the public's response was, well, yes, it is a conspiracy theory, but is it true? So sometimes this doesn't work. And what we're seeing with the Trump stuff with fake news is that it's very much targeted towards a particular part of Trump's base. So Trump's claiming that CNN produces fake news only works for the kind of people who don't trust CNN in the first place and think there's some kind of liberal media conspiracy to destroy Trump. It doesn't work on aficionados of CNN. They don't suddenly go, oh, oh, my news network produces fake news. I should probably stop watching it. They end up going, no, no, that's just Trump doing his
1: thing. Right. And so I guess the question or um, what, what can we do about this? Uh, in the draft of your paper that I read, you, you kind of hadn't got up to that point in the paper yet. There's just mention of polite society. So can you fill me in on, your, um, on what's, what's percolating in your brains about what we might do about the problem of fake news? I think part of the problem of fake news, and I was having this discussion
0: with Gregor the other day, I think also part of my solution comes from the weird kind of media landscape we have in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So I think it's fair to say that in our home country, we really only have one newspaper of note, which is the New Zealand Herald. Herald. I mean, there is the press, uh, there's the Otago Daily Times, there are other smaller newspapers available but they don't have much in the way of circulation whilst the Herald is available everywhere. And we only have two major TV stations with competing news bulletins, so we have an almost complete lack of diversity in our media space. And that means that we have a kind of malformed media, which tends to be fairly pliant and supplicant to whatever the government says so it's it's a fairly well-known feature that when national are in charge the herald is very pro-national and anti-labor and when labor are in charge the herald ends up being fairly pro-labor and not as accommodating to national because there's a kind of institutional buy-in going on at that particular point in time if you want to be able to report what the government is doing then you need to be on the good side of the government. You need to make sure you've got access to ministers, you're going to be able to go to briefings and the like. You can't take a stand against any particular political position because then the government of the day can go, well, we just won't deal with you. And because there isn't any other competing newspaper interest, that points in the other direction. Our one newspaper has to go, well, we just have to make sure we're always on the good side of whoever is in charge at any particular point in time. And that kind of creates a false sense of politeness, that whenever the government speaks, newspapers go, uh-huh, yes, uh-huh, well, thank you, Minister, for your time. Well, so it actually would be quite good to have a media landscape which actually is slightly antagonistic to claims of this particular type. So I have a feeling that my proposed solution does come ever so slightly from the weirdness of the media landscape we have in Aotearoa. But certainly it's true that certain news networks in the US absolutely lap up Donald J. Trump's claims of fake news. So if you look at Fox, and apparently Trump's favorite show, Fox and Friends, as soon as Trump makes some claim about the fake media this, the fake media that, the people, or the hosts, I don't know whether the hosts on Fox and Friends are actually people, or whether they're just very elaborate media robots, they end yeah. up going, oh, yes, it's terrible what CNN is doing or MSNBC is doing. That's just more fake news from those liberal media outlets. And once again, that's a kind of weird politeness that's going on here, which is that as soon as the boss says something, we go, uh-huh, yes, thank you for your time. Whilst if we kind of ditch that politeness and actually engaged in the robust cut and thrust of democratic debate, claims of fake news wouldn't have as much power. That's not to say they wouldn't be fake news, but alleging something as fake news and using that as a knockdown argument against someone's position wouldn't quite work. Because You'd go, yeah, I mean, you're saying it's fake news, but, but is it? Which is what we saw with the whole Nikki Hager, John Key thing. John Key tried to use a weaponized form of the term conspiracy theory, and the New Zealand public went, hmm, that is it? Is it? Is it, John?
1: Uh, yes. No. Hang on, what was the question? Is it a conspiracy theory or is it true? Actually, yes. Yes to both. Is it no? Can I change my answer? Will this affect my final grade? It will affect your, your
0: final grade, but I gave you your final Shit. grade before the podcast even started.
1: Okay, well, that's all right then. Um, that makes sense in terms of New Zealand, although the um, the US media landscape, as as it appears from here, would appear to be extremely combative, um, and yet fake news is kind of where where it's really blossomed. That said, though, the the left wing media who get called fake news do seem to be a little more. More supplicant, if that's the right word, and the, the, the right side, especially the Fox do seem definitely a hell of a lot more antagonistic. So, as part of the problem there, there isn't enough balance uh, that one side is more polite than the other, or what do you think is, is, is going on in that particular landscape? So I think something really quite interesting about allegations of fake news,
0: because, of course, Donald J. Trump isn't the first person to allege that certain news networks produce fake news. Alex Jones has been making claims about media producing fake news all the time. And what's interesting is that if Alex Jones claims, for example, that CNN is producing false news reports about X, Y, or Z, CNN does not feel the need to respond to Alex Jones. Alex Jones is a prominent radio online host with a tendency to engage in conspiracy theories. He's got a fairly big presence online, but he's not big enough for news networks to go, all oh, we must respond to what Alex Jones is saying about us. Trump, however, being leader of possibly the world's only remaining superpower, making claims about fake news and fake media is the kind of thing that CNN needs to respond to. And the kind of response they give, as you point out, is more of supplication than it is of aggression. So whilst there's a kind of pushback against what the president says, by and large, what they try to do is get on the right side of Trump. And... That's
1: the kind of weird politeness to these particular claims that we should be resisting. I've heard it said that um, the U.S. system, and indeed most of the, the systems in the in the polite Western world, um, lean quite heavily on the notion of shame. That if a person is caught doing something wrong, uh, society shames them; they feel ashamed, and and are therefore motivated themselves um, to do something about it. Where, but this the whole system falls apart when you're dealing with people who have no shame and who being confronted with uh, having told a total lie rather than going, oh, God, yes, you've got me fine. I, you know, I, I, I done wrong and I'll um, I'll fall on my sword or whoever instead double down and just say, hell no, that's, you know, who, who are you going to believe me, you or your lion eyes? Um, the, the, there's a reference to the Shaggy song. It wasn't me in there somewhere, but I can't quite get it out of me at the moment. Um. So it certainly seems that, yeah, they've managed to game a fairly significant societal institution by themselves uh, uh, not buying into what I guess you could call a form of politeness. So yes, perhaps the only alternative is to be less polite back. And of course, this actually speaks to a big issue with fake
0: news in general, which is making claims about the intentions of the actors behind it. So... There is a question here as to when Donald J. Trump makes claims about fake media and fake news, is he sincerely trying to convince people or is he just completely agnostic about the truth of his claims? Because if it turns out that he's just saying things for political or pragmatic reasons and he's not, he actually has no attachment to the truth of the claims he's making. There's a question there as to whether that makes things slightly
1: better or a whole lot worse. Well, yes. I mean, I've heard it said that um, part of the part of the strategy behind employing claims of fake news a lot is not necessarily about each individual claim. It's about the overall effect of, of claiming everything is fake news and that black is white and up is down um, just simply erodes the notion of truth whatsoever to, so that they can get to the point where anyone can say anything and essentially get away with it, because at this point, people have given up on trying to determine what's true and what isn't. Um, certainly, when I, I do get the impression from Trump that he simply says whatever pops into his mind at the present moment that he thinks is, would be the most advantageous thing to say, even if he then goes and contradicts himself 30 seconds later. So possibly in his case, there are... Isn't such a long-term strategy going on, but it does seem to be something that's been jumped on by uh, elements within the, 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 the his widest circle and perhaps around the media that enables him.
0: Yes, and I mean this is one of these things where, even though the phenomena we're talking about—news which is fake and allegations of people producing news which is fake—isn't actually new. The umbrella term fake news, as it's currently being used, is. And so academics like myself are trying to work out a way to talk about the phenomena and get to the root issues. Because in the end, I don't know that we'll be talking about fake news and allegations of fake news in 10 years' time. I mean, because the issue is a lot older than the umbrella term, presumably the term fake news will slip out of the political lexicon in a cycle or so, and we'll just go back to what the base issue is, which is trustworthiness, reliability, and the intention of actors. But at this particular point in time, it's a fairly interesting phenomena to try and work with, and it's a great way of showing how you can apply epistemology to contemporary
1: public debate. Indeed. Well, Dr Dentith, that's about all we have time for. It uh, just remains for me to say, mm, yes. Mm, thank you for your time uh, Do you have any closing remarks? Yes, all of what I said was fake news Right, oh, well, I, we, we've come to the end of another episode The internet has been slightly ropeier than usual throughout this So the audio seemed fine, but the video Actually really quite ropey They come dark. out a little fishy yeah. yeah. So we'll just have to see, I'm sure we can put something together But otherwise, you're, you're back in Romania from next week, are you? I am indeed, I return back to Bucharest tomorrow night Indeed, well in that case it'll be business as usual-ish again Until you're back in New Zealand, I suppose That's true So until next week I don't see that there's anything left to say Then goodbye And once again, everything on this podcast was fake news What I really meant to say was hello Buenos know,
0: con diablo,
1: Goodbye Goodbye
0: You've been listening to The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy It is written, researched and performed by Josh Addison, a.k.a. Monkey Fluids and M R X Extenteth, a.k.a. Conspiracism on Twitter. This podcast is available where all good podcasts can be found as well as iTunes, Podbean and Stitcher. It can also be watched on YouTube. Just search for The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy or, if you happen to be technophobic, consult the auguries. You can support the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy via our Patreon page, as listed in the podcast description, or just by searching for us on Patreon. You can also support us via the Podbean patronage system, if that is more your style. You do you. If you want to get in contact with us, why not email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook. And remember, they're coming to get you, Barbara.